We want to say hello to everyone who is streaming with us right now. We're grateful to have you a part of our assembly this morning, even though you're not here uh, physically. And uh, we pray that, uh, that you had a great Thanksgiving and that God uh, blessed you with lots of family and, and uh, lots of food and, of course, lots of football. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into the text. Father, thank you for this letter that John wrote all these centuries ago that has come down to us and just continually blesses us. These words that were first birthed in your heart and then transmitted to us through this special, special human being, John the Apostle, who was Jesus' best friend during his years on earth. And we are so blessed, Father, by what He instructs us to understand and to know and to believe and to be courageous about when it comes to living in a way that emulates the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus of Nazareth. And so as we study this text, Father, we ask You again to bless us with eyes that see and ears that hear so that we, as Isaiah has told us, may turn toward you and away from everything else and to see you and to be transformed. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. In my career, which is um, you know, between three and four decades now in ministry, I've, I've done a little over 200 weddings. And when I was a, a younger and more foolish minister... I, I used to go back to the back room where uh, the groom and the groomsmen were gathering just a couple of minutes before the wedding would begin, and I would, would make a joke to kind of ease the groom's uh, uh, nervousness. And it would be a joke that would be something like, uh, hey guy, I mean, here it is, last minute, it's zero hour, last moment to get out, there's the door. I said I used to do that. <laughs> One time I come in, and uh, I could just feel, I could, you could hear the, the heartbeat of the groom just kaboom, 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 kaboom as you walked into that back room. And this was many years ago, and uh, this guy was just, he was starting to sweat. So I figured I'd just throw my old joke out there. Hey, it's zero hour, dude. If you want to get out, you know, it's time to get There's the door, last chance. And I expected here, ah, funny preacher, you know, everything's cool. This guy go, stands up and he goes, what, I can do that? <laughs> I mean, how do I know she's the right one? How do you know? I, I think I got to get out of Dodge. And he looked over at his, this is a true story. He looked over at his best man and he goes, and the best man says to him, he says, hey man, I'll run out to the parking lot, get the car, I'll meet you at the back door. And I went, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. Pump the brakes. And we began to talk, and I mean, we're like 30 seconds before this ceremony is beginning, and we began to talk about all the things that he knew about his fiance in light of all the things he didn't know about her. And at the end of that quick, 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 quick conversation, he said, you know, she's the one. She's the one. You think about all the unknowns in life. Marriage is just one, right? How about having a baby for the first time? 
Or maybe you've got this gigantic surgery that's kind of looming down the road a ways. Or maybe it's the loss of a job. Or maybe you're, you're buying a house for the first time. Or maybe it's, will the Cowboys ever win another Super Bowl in our lifetime? <laughs> I mean, the mystery of victory is great, right? <laughs> you know, a necessary tool in the life of any human being is how to deal with the unknown. How you deal with the unknown. And what you know about life and about a bunch of things, especially God, helps you work out the unknown, which is a huge spiritual truth that the Apostle John says over and over and over again. Now, I'm going to paraphrase what it is that he says, but what he says is this. It's up here on the screen. The mystery of God helps us to deal with the unknowns of life. The mystery of God helps us deal with the unknowns of life. Think about the incarnation. The incarnation, which is God the, the Son becoming a human being, born of a woman, that is the greatest mystery in the Bible. I mean, how is it that Jesus, who is all God, is also at the same time being born of Mary, growing up as Jesus, how is it that He's all God and all human at the same time? John, over and over and over again in his writings, emphasizes the incarnation. Why? Because just because you can't comprehend the greatest mystery in the Bible 100% and understand it completely doesn't mean that it's not helpful. John chapter 1, verse 14, he says, The Word became what? Flesh and made His home or His dwelling among us. He writes not only the Gospel of John, but he writes this letter that we're looking at this morning, 1 John, to the churches in Asia Minor. And at the very beginning, 1 John chapter 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have what? Touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Now why is that thing that we cannot comprehend 100% why is it emphasized over and over and over again in the New Testament? Well, on one hand, the incarnation is a mystery that is so great and so profound that a God who is mysterious and infinite and, and beyond our understanding, it's only that kind of a God that can pull it off. Yet at the same time, to be that infinite God and that mysterious God and to become a man means that there are some things about God that are to be known. And that's why in this letter that we call 1 John, five, five chapters, over 30 times John says, we know. We know. And six of those times, or in the last nine verses of chapter 5, the end of the book that Sean just read for us. John the Apostle, at the end of this letter, as he's signing off to all of these churches in Asia Minor, says there are at least four things that if you're going to be successful as a disciple of Jesus in the world as we live it, the world is thus, thus have we made it, there are at least four things you need to know about God that's going to help you deal with all of these unknowns. The first one is this. Man, your salvation is real. You, if you are in Christ and Christ in you, you are saved. Back in, in 1978, wrestling as a senior in high school, 
and uh, wrestling our, our, the, the high school that was our, our big rival. And I was a, a middleweight at the time. And un, believe it or not, a middleweight during that time, 70s, was 138 pounds. The middleweight. So I'm out there. We go out onto the mat. I'm wrestling this guy, arch rival. We go out of bounds. And he decides that this is going to be an opportune time for me to put my elbow into Mark Absher's nose as we're going out of bounds. So I hit the mat as we go out of bounds, referee, you know, signals that we're supposed to go back out to the center of the mat, except that I'm seeing stars, and these little canaries are flying around tweeting and everything, and I got blood coming out of my nose. I mean, nobody makes me bleed my own blood, you know. And so, the, you know, he calls timeout, and, you know, coach comes over, and doctor comes over, and, and as those, those, those birds begin to dissipate, and I begin to realize I'm bleeding, I begin, you know that really famous comic book character who is a very, very intelligent guy, but then when he gets mad, he turns into the Hulk. I was about to go green. Going green meant a lot, something different back then than it means today, right? I was about to go green, and my coach could see that. He said, oh, man, you know, this, this kid's about to Hulk out, you know. And so he grabs me by, the, by, the, uh, by the, the headgear, these two pads on each side of the ear, and he says, you have got to get your head in the game. And at that point, I don't know if it was a combination of Coach Phillips drilling his eyes into mine or what it was, but he got my attention, and all of a sudden my focus went like that. Knowing that you are and that we are saved unto God is the basis for everything else that we know as a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth. There is no stability in life if you do not know that your salvation is real. And quite frankly, church, that's why legalism just doesn't work. Legalism or performance-based religions, it just doesn't work. You don't know if you've done enough. You never know if you've done the right things. You never know if, if you can be certain about your salvation. I cannot tell you the number of times that I have watched people in as they lay dying. Many decades of faith and faithfulness. And at the end, as a minister, you're having that conversation with them about you know, trying to give encouragement and assurances and these kinds of things. And they say, I hope I've done enough. I hope I've done enough. You know, we've got, we've got to get real about rejecting legalism. And it's not just legalism that has to do with the Bible. I mean, even politically. I mean, how can you be a Christian and be a Republican? Or how can you be a Christian and be a Democrat? I'll tell you how, through the cross of Jesus of Nazareth. That's how it happens. And any understanding that we have of the Bible or any doctrine of the Bible that does not include certainty of salvation for people who have put their faith in the Christ must be questioned. And that's why John says at the very end of the book, he says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what, say it, no, that you may not guess about or wonder about or stress about or fret about, but that you may know that you have eternal life. <coughs> Back in 1962, great theologian Karl Barth, lecture tour of the, the USA, 
He's in Chicago. He's given the great lecture. He had written his dogmatics by this time. It had been published. People were wading through it, trying to understand what you know a, a, a stack of books this wide really meant. And a student asked the, the, the glorious question, Dr. Bart, when you boil it down, all of the things that you've read, all the things that you've written, all the things that you've thought about, what does it boil down to? He thought for a second, took those glasses off, and he said, this is what it is. He says, in the words of a song that I learned at my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's that simple. A friend of his who had died a couple of decades before, uh, Bart was Swiss, Bonhoeffer was German. Bonhoeffer had been thrown in prison because of some things that were going on during the war and his, his, uh, his, his connection with some of the assassinations of Hitler. He is in Flossenburg prison. It's April of 1945. We're just weeks away from the end of the war, and everybody knew the war was ending. And Bonhoeffer is sentenced to die, and they're going to execute him in that April morning. The account of everyone who was there saw a Bonhoeffer who had joy and peace and kindness and gentleness and self-control as he went to the gallows and died. If your future is not certain in your mind, then how are you ever going to ride the waves of adversity and trouble and pain and suffering in the present? Our God goes to great lengths to assure us of our salvation and our place in His family. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. You know, we talk about... The, the fact that at, at baptism we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there are lots of reasons for that. I want to pinpoint one that Paul mentions here in verse 16. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's one of the reasons that God gifts you with His Spirit when you become His child. His Spirit testifies to your spirit that speaks to your mind to remind you that you are a child of God. Our God wants this fact settled in our mind so that there's nothing that we face in this world that is going to unsettle us in our faith in the kingdom of God. Number two, our prayers are answered. You know, you go, to, you go to any faith in the world, every faith, every kind of religion that you encounter in the world has some form of prayer. You've got primitive tribes that are offering up their prayers and, and all of the things that they do. Incas and Aztecs going way back, they would even offer human sacrifices as a form of prayer to their gods. Muslims will stop and pray five times a day. Even atheists will pray. Get this, in 1950, Pravda, which was the state newspaper of the Soviet Union, there was an article that was published in 1950 that said this, if you meet with difficulties in your work or suddenly doubt your abilities, think of him. Who are they talking about? Of Stalin. And you will find the confidence you need. If you feel tired in an hour when you should not, think of him, of Stalin, and your work will go well. If you are seeking a correct decision, think of him, of Stalin, and you will find that decision. You know the reason why prayer is so universal? 
The reason prayer is universal is, it, is because it connects to something that all human beings sense. That we as human beings, and the, the world is thus, thus have we made it, that we are incomplete. There's a, qu- a quote by, by George Buttrick that says, you know, sometimes prayer seems like a spasm of words in a cosmic indifference, yet we keep praying. And John writes, verse 14, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, say it with me, He hears us. And then in verse 15, And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of Him. If salvation brings me to God, that when I'm saved, I'm not just being forgiven of my sins, but I'm being saved unto God to enter into a, a relationship with Him in which I'm changed and I begin to look like His perfect Son, God the, God the Son, Jesus of Nazareth, then the place where we meet is prayer. The problem that we, even after all of these years of being in the faith, that we struggle with prayer is because we really don't understand it. A lot of us know, at least intellectually, that prayer is bigger than just the I want list. When something's bugging you, something's troubling you, something's making you afraid, that that's what we go to God and, and, and pray about. But think about how dysfunctional that prayer life is if, if we did that as our conversation with our spouses. If the only reason I ever spoke to Ellen was because I wanted something, how deep is that relationship ever going to get? I want bacon. Where is the remote You know, the relationship is not going to be very, very deep. And it's only going to be one-dimensional. That's why if prayer is the place where the children of God meet with God, conversation and speaking and talking and pouring out and contemplating and pondering and communicating, then we must do a better job of learning about prayer. Number two. We need to know that we are saved. We need to know that that God hears us when we pray. And number three, Satan is already defeated. Satan is, is already defeated. Satan is real. Never doubt that. But Satan has his limitations. Verse 18. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps him safe. And the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. You know, one of the things that that we need to get straight is is that Jesus did not die on the cross to lose people. He did not die on the cross to lose people. Satan one day will be utterly destroyed, but we live in Christ's victory right now. Satan's earthly jurisdiction is not binding on anyone who is in Christ and Christ in him. Here is the verse that Satan does not want you to know. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive in God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign. You know, we've been doing this every week for a couple of weeks now. What does the word reign mean? It means reign, be king, sovereign, right? 
Do not let sin be king. Let it rule, be sovereign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness for sin shall not be your, say it church, master. When's the last time you said to a temptation, you will never master me through the power of Jesus? Sin shall not be your master because you're not under the law but under grace. Our transformed lives are a testimony to a world that lies in the power of the evil one. People can argue with your doctrine all day. You know what they can't argue with? They can't argue with a changed life. One that is bearing the fruit of God's Spirit who's not only testifying that you're a child, a son, or a daughter of God, but also helping you to come out of that, that lifestyle, come out of that what seems to a lot of people to be a habituated uh, lifestyle that is continually circling, circling the drain, and, and to become a, a, a model, to become a, a mini-Christ, to, be, to become a, an icon of the Christ, to look like Jesus. And then the last thing, that Christ can be known. That Christ can be known. 1 John chapter 5, verse 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, even in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal God. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. There is nothing that destroys the knowledge of God in a human being more than a relationship we have with an idol. Even if that idol is buried someplace, even if that idol is not very brawny and big and robust, it still whispers a lie that diminishes the power of God, the presence of God, your vision of God, your confidence in God every time you listen to it. And it's the same, it's the same with... And I, I, idolatry is always compared to adultery. That idolatry is that, that third person that's wedging itself into a relationship that is mutually exclusive between two. And any of the love, any of the listening, anything that you give, passion, whatever it might be, to that third party diminishes what you have with that first party who is God. And the goal of this letter that John is writing to these folk is to be focused, to get their head into the game, and to get their life centered on the Christ. We were in Brazil for a number of years. One of the couples that uh, we did mission work with in Brazil went back to their sponsoring church one, one month, in, uh, back in the early 90s. And uh, they were in this large class of a couple of hundred people, large church, giving a report on their work in Brazil and what it was like. And people were asking questions about the culture, and they were trying to educate people about what it was like to be an American speaking English, learning Portuguese, and learning the customs of Brazilian people. And they would talk about certain things, about how you greet people and uh, how you verbally greet people, how you, you might physically greet somebody. And in the back, they noticed that there was this couple, husband and wife, that kept looking at people around them at the back of the room and going, no, that's really not the way it is. It's not that way. No, 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 no. It's not that. that that's not what they do, really. And, and they, he kept going and talking about cultural things and cultural things. And, and he could just see this couple in the back going, uh, no, that's not right, that's not right, that's not right. And so he kind of got tired of it, and he, he saw what they were doing, and he just called and said, hey, I, you, you know, I'm, I know I'm kind of new to the, the, the game here, but um, 
uh, have you ever been to Brazil? And they smiled and they said, well, kind of, sort of. We took a vacation in Mexico one time. <laughs> and so that kind of became like a, a, a joke phrase on the team, kind of, sort of, you know. One of the reasons that this letter exists to us and is a treasure for us today is because John, God through John, does not want us to ever say kind of, sort of when it comes to believing that our salvation is real. He doesn't want us to say kind of, sort of when it comes to knowing that when we pray, God hears us. And he doesn't want us to say kind of, sort of when it comes to temptations and the defeat of Satan and knowing that God has liberated us from the, 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 the sovereignty of the kingdom of darkness and transferred us, to use the language of Colossians, into the kingdom of light. And he doesn't want us to say kind of, sort of when it comes to knowing the one who died for you. That's why the incarnation is so incredible. Yes, we'll never get to the bottom of it. Yes, we'll never understand it completely. We'll never comprehend it 100% because we are finite and we're talking about the infiniteness of God. But what we do know is that Christ can be known because of His revelation of Himself to us. And we know that He identifies with us and that He listens to prayers because He knows what it's like to be human. And He knows what it's like to, to deal with those pain and suffering and valley, dark tunnel kinds of moments in life because he became one of us. But what he showed us is the way through the unknowns in this life. And that's why the mystery of the greatness of God that we will never fully understand, but what he does reveal, and we do get our mind around, will always defeat the unknowns in this life. We're going to sing a, a song right now that is a, a, a hymn of praise to God for the greatness of His work in our life. And we're going to have, during the singing of that song, we're going to have some of our shepherds come down to the front. And if there are ways that our church can help you in your faith, even beginning those first steps of faith by believing the gospel and understanding how, how you become a child of God, any of those things that are kind of, sort of, known, unknown to you, come down to the front and let them be known as we stand and we praise God together. I am resolved no longer to linger, charmed by the world's delight. Things that